Hey guys, with sports betting season in full force with football here, you need a sports book with integrity and longevity like BetUS. You may already know this, but BetUS has been pioneers in the sports book industry for almost three decades, thriving and paying their loyal customer base. That is BETUS.com, and they have loads of bonuses. Join now or call 1 800 69 BetUS. That is 800 MyBetUS. You receive 125% sign up bonus by using bonus code SST125. That's SST125. They have re-up and referral bonuses. Also, BetUS is known among America's favorite sportsbook for lots of reasons. Bet on team and player props, loads of NFL futures, UFC matches, PGA golf, live betting on most sports. The online casino has hundreds of games. The race books has all the horse tracks. They have every bet type imaginable. Follow my lead and get your phone online and sports betting partner with integrity and longevity like I did. BetUS. You bet. You win. You get paid. Bet U.S. In the South, it's always college football season. And the king of college football reigns supreme all year long. Now more college football talk with the king of college football. It's the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. Hour two of the Chuck Oliver Show on a Tuesday. It starts right now. Appreciate everybody getting in, including Dave Bartu. He was with us uh, because it's Tuesday and it was hour one. We bounced through a lot of what is going on in the coaching world right now. Like we didn't drill down on the UMass opening and, and it matters because UMass is going to hire a coordinator. That's they're They're still operating. It appears in in just the standard playbook and so that matters when umass what well, i care about umass they're terrible they they are you're right but it matters because they may come for your coach don't come for my coach i don't necessarily care unless they come for one of my rivals oh they got the oc from our big in-state rival yay my team so that's why you're going to care and we didn't even get there because there's so much else going on. Uh, TCU now getting into the coaching carousel and then stepping off of the thing uh, almost immediately. And so just a lot going on in next week, next two weeks, three weeks, et cetera. And then the season's over. We've got a lot more from Dave Bartu as we move through. Speaking of three more weeks, season over. Um, tonight and then three more releases of college football playoff rankings. They're doing them later this year, too. 9 Eastern and 8 Central, I believe. And been an hour. When they first started, it was like 7 or 7.30. Then push it back, and they're after prime time because it's a TV show. Uh, and we know that because there is no tangible value. Like, let's go back in time a week. There was an hour-long TV presentation to say, here are these four teams that are at, at the top of the standings. And we all looked at it and went, oh, okay, uh, yes. And the World Series was on, so you probably didn't watch, but it's not the point. It's that there is an hour-long TV show to do this. And then the folks involved themselves, they tell you, and then next week, uh, all of this is going to be irrelevant, and there will never be anything that comes about because of what we just did. But we'll do it again next Tuesday. Well, that's tonight. And then there's two more, uh, three more of these after it, and then boom, season is over. Regular season done, and you'll hear from the playoff committee on December 5th. Now, what do I expect to be uh, the top four tonight? Well, it's not going to involve Michigan State. We know that. Um, I'm still intrigued by how the committee is going to handle. Not everybody's focusing on Cincinnati. To me, the big deal that's going to be very revealing, and let me put it this way. 
what I expect the committee to do um, is pray that Oregon loses at some point in November. But while everybody's paying attention to Cincinnati and how the committee treats them, I'm paying attention to what the committee may be forced to do with Oregon and Ohio State if the two went out. You've got a Power 5 program, went on the road without its best player. We all know that. Um, and Oregon, I don't think, is a great team. And Oregon probably isn't one of the top four. This season, there may be so many other programs that eliminate themselves or get eliminated. Like, you you have uh, Texas A&M. They lose those, those two games back-to-back. They eliminated themselves. Clemson eliminated themselves. Bama may get eliminated by Georgia play a perfectly fine game whatever Uh, that's how you get to Oregon making the playoffs I don't think they want Oregon in the playoffs and the committee historically hasn't wanted the Pac-12 in the playoffs but if you finish with the exact same record and the exact same additional data point which is their language I've got a conference title oh so does Oregon and they beat you head-to-head it's not just a higher C which C's don't really matter to me Uh, two and three it's just what color jersey you wear but it's not just a higher C, but it's the idea that how do we keep Oregon out of this thing altogether? And we want the Buckeyes in, and we don't want Oregon. So, again, Cincinnati, I think that that resolves itself as well, that this is not set up for a group of five team to ever make it virtually no matter what. And Cincinnati, isn't. there's nothing so special about them that they'll defy that. But this could be a season, especially if Notre Dame can pick up a loss, this will be a season when so many other programs, Alabama, I just said, uh, in my opinion, take themselves out of the mix that the committee may have no choice. So that's not anything that's going to be uh, – there's going to be no no indication tonight from the committee regarding Cincinnati. They could put them two, they could put them three, they could put them ten. doesn't matter. The only thing that matters for Cincinnati is more games being played that elite programs lose. Cincinnati's not going to elevate itself. The other program's going to eliminate themselves. So so there's no I have no interest in Cincinnati and what the committee does with them because it, it truly doesn't. It's going to be all these other teams the next three weekends. I do care about Oregon and Ohio State. Because that's already played out to the point on the field in week two, and now we advance two months later and it's the same record. And it looks they absolutely it could turn out they're both conference. That's the one to look at tonight. If you look, we're going to take a break, come back, talk a little bit more of a deep dive on the Gators. Blake Alderman going to come on uh, as we talk. Dan Mullen, and oh, yeah, they still have games to play. Three more of them. We'll talk Gators next. Always college football time in the South. Now back to more of the king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. Chuck Oliver Show continues on a Tuesday, and apparently the state of Florida has the flow. Um, and I'm not trying to be funny here, but um, because this is not a COVID comment, but uh, I'm talking specifically when it comes to college football. Um, we got Dan Mullen saying that Florida's had a flu outbreak. Um, I know that the Florida State quarterback room, um, it's dealing with the flu as well as a transfer portal uh, entrant. Um, so it, 
yeah, uh, go get your flu shot. That would that would be that would be my advice. And um, keep a look on eligible players because uh, we were used to COVID last year, and certainly knows there's been some of that. But uh, I'm not telling you, man. I'm not kidding with you, man. The flu has already started to affect rosters this deep into the season as well. Want to welcome on. Uh, guy that we've talked to before, always love his information for sure, covering the Florida Gators for Swamp 247. It is Blake Alderman. Blake, how are you today? I'm good. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah. Not good for me, I don't have the flu. Yeah, good for you, man. Um, let's let's just cover a little bit of last Saturday, and, um, I, and I don't have any idea that, you know, anybody's making up excuses for a bad loss. I mean, what happens, happens. Um, when did you start hearing about the relative health or even availability of some players on the Florida roster due to the flu? Uh, you know, I deal mostly with recruiting, but my yeah. coworker Thomas Goldcamp had been hearing kind of near the end of the week as the game started to approach that the, there were some guys on the team, I think somewhere between like 12 to 15 to 20 guys that yeah. were dealing with the flu. Um, I know Emory Jones is one that I believe tested positive Saturday morning yep. for, uh, for the flu um, in that game. And obviously your quarterback, that's an important position, you know, so they were dealing with it beforehand. And, I, you know, we were hearing some rumblings that, uh, you know, the team was kind of dealing with that heading into that game near the end of the week. So the game turns out how it turns out, and um, I'm going to – look, we're just going to have a conversation. I don't even know if I'm asking you a question here, but um, leading before the Georgia game, I said they're likely to lose, and I believe the story won't be the loss. It's going to be Dan Mullen's reaction to the loss. Um, And there's a lot of folks, Blake, who will talk about, you know, his arrogance, and and I'm one of them. Um, And it just looked like that was a powder keg, and he had a bad moment. Um, it looked like he got some media training over the last week. Um, what has been your experience observing Dan Mullen since he's come to Gainesville and his interactions with the media? Because he went from cold and prickly to as warm and fuzzy as he could in about a week, and that included firing two of his longtime friends. Yeah, you know, from just my time of covering college coaches, you know, you can see a guy come in that maybe is stuck in his ways. You know, I think Dan Mullen sometimes deals with, you know, kind of being the smartest guy in the room. Um, you know, and I think that you've seen that through, you know, uh, you know, stops at Mississippi State, you know, early on in the Florida career. Um, but I think one thing that struck me earlier on in his coaching career, you know, getting to Florida, I mean, was that this is a guy that knows what the fan base is like. You know, he's been an offensive yeah. coordinator here. He knows it's a hungry fan base that if, you know, if you don't start winning, man, like, you know, those guys can turn on you pretty quickly. So I think he's seen that. You know, I think last year a lot of his comments, you know, after the Texas A&M game, you know, talking about how they had a full stadium and the pack the swamp uh, comments, you know, even last year after that Cotton Bowl loss saying that, you know, well, this team played its last game a couple weeks ago at the SEC championship game. I think things like that were areas where, you know, maybe he, you know, can kind of have moments where he's going to put his foot in his mouth. But I do think on Monday, you know, coming off the firing of some assistants, I think you started to see kind of a, uh, you know, a humbling approach to talking to the media, you know, even going back to this season, the Kentucky game, you know, he's asked, you know, were you out coached by the Kentucky staff? Well, you know, we had more yards than them, you know, and I, you kind of look at that and you're like, dude, you still lost. So, you know, I think that you started to see him take some accountability for things, knowing that, you know, he's the CEO and you need to take that CEO type approach. You know, if the defense isn't playing well, it's going to fall on your, on the head coach. You know, last year, Florida's coming off a year where their defense was historically bad. Dan Mullen kind of hitched his own wagon to Todd Grantham. You know, and you come in this season, I think starting off the defense, you kind of look at things, you're like, uh, it's not good or it's not great, but it's, you know, it looks like it could be okay. Going through some, you know, growing pains in the secondary. 
then the wheels kind of start to fall off. You look at, you know, LSU, all these offenses seem to have a career day against Florida's defense. So I think taking that accountability and knowing that, you know, it falls on him, he needs to do things right. And I think it was a tough decision for him. You know, he's friends with Todd Grantham. He's been coaching with John Hevesy for most of his coaching yeah. career. So I don't think those were easy decisions to make. And I think seeing that, you know, those problems are real problems and that he's going to have to make a change, I think you started to see him realize that he needs to take some initiative. And, I, you know, I thought his Monday press conference was one of the most, I guess, kind of true meaning to his words, not taking and kind of deflecting things and really kind of taking some accountability for things. I got to agree with you on that one. Continue with Blake Alderman. Get him on Twitter at Blake underscore Alderman. Again, uh, Gators recruiting analyst, Swamp 247. So, uh, yeah, as you said, uh, you, you, you know, your main area, obviously, is recruiting. Let's talk a little bit about that because that was his comment last year, uh, week that kind of set off Mullen critics who were already – I mean, they were waiting for anything to trigger them. Um, and it was taken completely out of context. And even someone who doesn't understand recruiting, Blake – I think everyone had to understand he wasn't saying we don't recruit in season that we'll talk about it after the season. Um, that to me was an example of folks were just looking to, to, to jump on him and they took a statement that they knew wasn't exactly meaning that and decided to, to, to just take shots at Mullen. You know, I agree with you. I think that at the same time too, um, you know, it's kind of one of those deals to where, you know, he, he has that comment on a Monday. He comes back later in the week and he kind of clarifies things he said. You know, it could have been as easy as coming out and saying, like, look, you know, we're talking about the season right now. I don't really want to get into recruiting or how things are going. I think his wording could have been chosen a little bit better. But I think at the end of the day, that was taken out of context. You know, obviously he's calling recruits. You know, they're doing Zoom calls with commits, doing Zoom calls, FaceTime calls, all sorts of things. You know, recruiting is not dead for this staff, even though I do think they struggle with it. And I think that's why a lot of people kind of were just been waiting to – kind of unload on those things you know since dan mullen has been in gainesville the recruiting hasn't been up to par to what florida fans are used to or what they expect i mean even if you look now their 2022 class ranks 22nd in the nation on the 24 7 sports composite ranking that's ninth best in the sec that's just that kind of recruiting you know obviously there's still some season left you're going to add some more guys in there but you know being ninth in the sec that's just not going to cut it whenever a lot of these teams that are on your schedule are ahead of you so uh, it's a it's a particularly maddening uh, pursuit to be chasing uh, approval from a 17 year old. But I have to ask this question: uh, <laughs> What about the current commits? Have any of them uh, spoken? Any of them shown any sort of reaction in the past? Uh, basically, 24, 48. You know, I think it's been pretty good for the most part. You've seen a lot of guys coming out being positive, and I think one good thing that Dan Mullen did. You know, this was after the Georgia loss, though. Um, was that he had all these commits that are in their class now, all 13 guys on a Zoom call with him, kind of talking about you guys will be the ones to change things. You know, this is the class that can get things turned around, which to me is a lot of coach speak things. You know, what do you expect a head coach to say to a lot of these guys? That's kind of always the, you know, the motto for every class. You're going to be the one that changes the game. You're the one that takes us to the next step, blah, 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 all those kinds of things. But for the most part, I think you've seen a lot of these guys talking amongst each other, and they're positive. They think that they do, they do think they can be the ones that can come around and help things out. Um, I think a lot of the majority of the class anyways is offensive guys. And obviously Dan Mullen does a really good job with that. I think defensively, you know, you lose your defensive coordinator, Todd Grantham. Um, I think a lot of guys on defense, you know, out of all of Florida's 13 commits, only four of those guys are defensive guys. So there's still some areas that they need to continue to recruit guys at. I think answering some questions of what will happen. And that's a tough spot to be in with, you know, the early signing day being so close to where oh, yeah. we're at now. You know, it's only a couple weeks away and a lot of these guys are still in season. So I think, you know, right now you're at a point where a lot of the offensive guys know that Dan Mullen is really good with X's and O's, really good as a, you know, as a coach. 
Um, you know, offensive line, you lose John Hevesy. But I think he's been one of the guys on Florida staff. If you ask me who's probably the one that struggled the most at recruiting, I would have said him. So I, I think at that point you can probably find an easy upgrade as far as recruiting on the offensive line, uh, filling that spot. Um, but defensively, I think you have a lot of questions. You know, or first and foremost, who's going to be the guy to replace him there? Whose defense am I coming into? Um, is it going to be changing things schematically? Or are you going to move things around from 4-3, 3-4, all those types of things? And also, will the shakeup of a defensive coordinator shake up any other assistant coaches on the staff? So I do think there are some questions there recruiting-wise for guys. But for the most part, a lot of these guys in the class haven't really seemed affected by the, the way the season's gone or any of the coaching changes. But, you know, we'll see how things go as we get closer to the early signing day. Can I ask you about one recruit in the state of Florida? Sure. Uh, Marvin Jones Jr. out of American Heritage, which every college program knows the way there. Um, right. He is the only kid listed in the top 25 in the state without a lean or a likely or, you know, anything like that. Normally, that's a red flag. It's like, whoa, wait a minute. Is it a Juco kid? Is it, or is he just taking his time and not decided yet? Because he's the number seven yeah. player in the state. Right. I think that Oklahoma is looking like a team to really watch for him. I think he had a really good official visit there. Uh, but, you know, he's coming off of a visit to Alabama. Alabama has recruited American Heritage really well. You look at Pat Sertain, a guy who's playing for the Denver Broncos now that went there and had a really good career. Um, There's been plenty of other guys. I do think he is taking his time with the recruiting process. He still has some visits to take, official visits and whatnot. Um, I'm not sure about unofficial visits to get in there. That guy has too many stars for me covering the Florida Gators with the recruiting. Um, But, you know, I think Oklahoma and Alabama are probably the two schools to watch right now. Florida State, he's a legacy there. His father went there. I don't think Florida State is really as in it as much as the Oklahomas and the Alabamas, but he will take a visit there. Appreciate it, Blake. Uh, as always, man, appreciate you coming on and uh, giving us the recruiting four one one, man. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. All right, again, Blake Alderman, uh, great job there uh, covering recruiting in the state of Florida. And he said, yeah, he's a legacy at Florida State. All right, quick quiz. David, I'm not picking on you. He's our engineer. Do you know who Marvin Jones is, the former Florida State linebacker? Name sounds familiar to me. Okay, that's fine. Dan, Marvin Jones. Vaguely. Fine. David's late 20s, Dan's late 30s. Marvin Jones is about as great a college linebacker as I've ever seen played. Nickname was Shade Tree. And he was one of the, the old school, like, middle linebackers not inside backers middle backers and in an even front what you used to do was basically hold up all the offensive linemen funnel everything to the linebackers and let them clean up Marvin Jones was unbelievable in fact we talked about him he just I think he just got his election to the college football hall of fame which stunned me that he wasn't in yet and so Marvin Jones jr not even really having FSU in the mix, not very much. That's surprising to me because, again, Shade Tree was just about as great as it comes, uh, especially for a middle linebacker in college football. Now back to the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. I may have bad news for our next guest. We're about to bring on Sonny Ship. Covers the LSU beat and Cruden for 24-7, and I think someone has hacked the 24-7 site. 
Um, Tiger Stadium is ablaze. The coach has already been fired. Nothing's going right. And I look at the 247 sports recruiting rankings inside the state of Louisiana. The top nine kids are either commitments or strong leans to LSU. And I'm like, there's supposed to be some sort of recruiting fallout, isn't there? Supposed to be Nick Saban going, oh, hey, five-star commitment to LSU. My name's Nick Saban. Want some hardware? That's supposed to be going on right now. Uh, And I'm certain it is. Uh, But as of now, the recruiting for LSU, uh, at least in-state, it still looks pretty strong. Want to welcome on the aforementioned Sonny Ship. Sonny, how you doing today, man? Good, Chuck. How you doing, my man? Doing good as well. Let's talk. Uh, we don't need to talk necessarily the game as much as we do the future at LSU, and and we'll talk, you know, Arkansas and everything ahead of them. That's great. But but let's talk uh, in the immediate right now with no head coach and no you know head coach um, pegged. Um, I hear rumors about Jimbo and Lane Kiffin and James Franklin and everything else, but. Talk in-state recruiting and at least commitments and feels and everything else because Louisiana is a tremendous state for recruiting, and it doesn't appear that LSU, at least to this point, has suffered a lot of fall-off. No, they haven't suffered enough, uh, a lot of fall-off. And, and I tell you what, we can certainly – there's certainly a lot of decisions that you can question on uh, that Ed Orgeron has made over the last couple of years. But his decision to shift to a, uh, a bigger focus in-state in Louisiana for this 2022 class came at a great time. And, uh, you know, the class is really – it's got a lot of good players in it. And, uh, you know, unlike some past years, you, you've really seen LSU kind of make more of a uh, a concerted effort to stay inside Louisiana and not try to go outside outside the state and maybe grab a uh, you know a splash name that you had seen in the past like a Jermaine Burton who ended up Georgia Rakeem Jarrett out of Maryland who ended up at Maryland and uh, and I think that's one reason that you see them uh, you know so many of the commitments uh, holding firm right now you know out of 14 guys you've got 12 that are inside the state of Louisiana. Including now, just talk about the strength of the in-state class. Well, 11, 11, let me, okay. 11. Well, whether they go to LSU or whatever, um, yeah. talk about the strength of the in-state class because there's three five-stars. Louisiana doesn't have, I mean, population-wise, it's not that big of a state, but it's got three five-stars and like a dozen four-stars this year. Yeah, and positions of need for LSU too. So once again, the perfect uh, the perfect timing. You got an offensive tackle, Will Campbell, out of Monroe. Five star quarterback Walker Howard out of Lafayette, who uh, just returned from a broken bone in his leg, a fractured bone in his leg, and threw for almost seven uh, accounted for almost seven hundred yards on Friday night. And then Jacoby Matthews out of Ponchatoula. You know, once again, a position of need at safety. And so when you when, when you have those position of needs in in your own backyard like like that uh you know it it really comes at a great time for a uh you know for a program that's really had some issues with roster management over the uh you know really since uh since ed took over but but really magnified in that 2018 class any impressions you have any whispers any rumors any definites but it's not announced yet any going on with the uh, lsu coaching search right now because that is the impetus for every program is firing to get the next guy so we don't fall behind on recruiting uh where is lsu right now yeah you know and, and i think uh, i think that scott you know the names that you've heard the that, that you've kind of heard i guess mentioned the most 
Um, you know, I, I think there's three guys kind of, I don't want to say that they are Scott Woodward's, uh, you know, top three in any order whatsoever, but there are three names that have generated a lot of talk. And, um, you know, that is obviously Jimbo Fisher. Uh, Lincoln Riley out of Oklahoma is another guy that, you know, I know Woodward liked a lot and others close to him really liked a lot when they started this process out. And then, um, you know, you look at Mel Tucker at Michigan State. You know, I, I think that those are three guys that, that Scott Woodward, you know, that he's probably already done a good bit of research on. And now it's a matter of, uh, you know, it's a matter of getting, getting them ranked and then, you know, making someone say no. Start at your top of the list and make someone say no. And I think, you know, when, when, when uh, obviously Jimbo Fisher and Scott Woodward, they've got a long, deep past. And, uh, you know, we've seen Woodward throw some, you know, ungodly amounts of money and, 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 contract, and contract deals and stuff at Jimbo Fisher. So, you know, he, feel, you know, he feels comfortable with, um, you know, with what, he, with what he knows about Jimbo and I guess with their past dealings. All right, well, let's talk about the rest of the season then, and it begins this Saturday. Um, yeah. There's not much to it left, but but LSU takes the field this Saturday playing Arkansas. And what, what is the status of the roster as far as available players? And Because I thought that they – I was told to expect this, just a torrent of opt-outs and quits and I'm walking, I'm leaving and everything else. Um, and I haven't necessarily seen, you know, a, a, a Hoosiers line out of uh, Baton Rouge, but uh, what is the uh, the availability of the roster right now? Yeah, and I think a lot of those guys, and I think a lot of guys got hurt yeah. that may have, uh, you know, that that that's names probably would have come up um, a good bit when talking about potential ops outs and just hanging it up and waiting on the draft and whatnot. But um, you know, I think you're going to basically see what you got. You know, what you saw against Alabama. Um, you know, I don't think you're going to. You, I'm not expecting to see a rash of players return. If anything, I'm sure the roster will just continue to, um, you know, to shrink over these next three weeks but hey you know LSU they LSU's got to pull out two wins over these next three games to get to six and six yep. they can get to a bowl they can also avoid the first losing season in school history since 1999 you know last year's five and five mark snapped the um, you know snapped the record of going to consecutive bowl games you know whether or not that's going to count the record books or not remains to be seen since it was kind of a self-inflicted um, decision that they decided to make but uh, you know going to a bowl game would be huge for these guys you know all these young guys gives them a chance to get some extra practices in to be able to um, you know have some sort of a you know some sort of a happy ending to what's you know been a very turbulent season uh mike jones jr over the past couple of games um oh, what i all heard you know throughout the offseason he's actually gotten on the field running around making some plays now and you know what's crazy is that, you know, you, you you look at LSU's defense that has been so basic, so vanilla all season. Comes out against Alabama, blitzes nearly half as much as they have had in the uh, in the first eight games. And, uh, you know, Mike Jones Jr., all of a sudden he's running around making plays, like you said. You know, there's a place for him in this defense, and that's doing exactly what he was doing on Saturday, letting him run around, letting him use that athleticism. But I think what they did is they got, you know, hell-bent 
on st- on trying to stick a uh, a circle in a square peg. And um, you know, with Mike Jones, and they tried to uh, you know make him that four three prototypical linebacker that obviously is going to take some more time for him to do. But it was good to see him get on the field and make some plays because you know he's a guy that you got you know I think he's a guy that you look at and you say okay you know is he going to look for a greener pasture? He's already left Clemson, you know, but you really hope that the new regime that comes in that he's a guy that they can convince to hang around and that you know he'll have a place to play in that new in that next defense last guy i want to ask you about and he's not from louisiana but uh but he's i had somebody tell me it's like lsu the secondary if nothing else works this year they found their next stud uh dwight mclaughlin um tell me what you thought about him and what the general feel was him coming out of texas two years ago and what the potential is for him now he was a guy very early in the process. He was, uh, you know, some had him as a five-star guy uh, very, very early. And his stock just continued to, uh, you know, it just kind of it, it started sliding from there, and it uh, continued to go down. You had some schools that kind of backed off of him. Uh, but he goes up to the U.S. Army All-American Bowl, has a big game up there. Uh, you know, one, one coach up there said that uh, if um, the guy who won the MVP, that if he wouldn't have gone off and won the MVP that McLaughlin probably would have left there with that uh, with that award. So he was a guy that LSU kind of circled back too late. And uh, I tell you what, man, what a find! Uh, what a find he's turned out to be. Because like you said, um, you know he might be the next one in line. And all of a sudden, when you start looking at next year, you know Derek Stingley's going to be gone. Yep. But if you can keep Eli Ricks on the roster, and then you can line Dwight McLaughlin up on the other side. You still have two corners that are, you know, two that can be really locked down corners in the SEC. All right, last thing, and you mentioned Ricks there and possibilities. I mean, he's not required to to play next year, uh, but he also can't go to the NFL yet. Uh, when you said if they keep him on the roster, there's no better program to transfer to from LSU. I mean, if you want big time stage SEC, well, you got him Baton Rouge. Um, the other scenario, Sonny, is he is the first to say, you know, without health, without pandemic, whatever. I'm not going to play. I'm going to train for the draft. Do you do you think specifically with Ricks or just in general that we're on the verge of seeing that become more of a trend? You know, with with Ricks, what um, he he didn't really play a whole whole lot this year. Yeah. Uh, so I think that you know, and I think that we might see with Derek Stingley, if he would have come out in 2019, he probably would have been a top five pick. Agreed. I think now, I think now that there's going to be some question marks on him. Um, you know, not only on his durability, but also maybe on the fact that you know, why did his production tail off so much? Was it COVID? Was it maybe you know not as interested as he was when he was a freshman? you know what's going on what's the deal there and i think once you start asking having questions about, uh, like that and then player teams start doing a lot more re, a lot more research and stuff it gives them a lot you know, they can find a lot more reasons to maybe justify not taking a guy that high. And so I'm anxious to see if Stingley's stock suffers any from the last two seasons. And I think that could also play a factor in when you look at a guy like Eli Ricks, you know, yeah, I could take that route if Derek Stingley goes and, you know, has a, yeah. and is still a top five pick, yep. then, but if he drops to 15 or 20 now, and a guy like Eli Ricks and some of these other guys around the country are all of a sudden looking at that saying, yeah, well, that's a lot of money right there. 
Yeah, it's uh, I mean, the conversation is around like Spence Rattler that maybe he decided to right. kind of mentally opt out but show up physically, and it may have cost him everything, uh, at least in the yeah. immediate. Sonny, appreciate your time, man. Thank you for coming on. Hey, Chuck, appreciate it, man. You have a good day, buddy. All right, Sonny Ship again from 247. And so there is the idea of mentally opting out, quitting, but you think, well, for appearances, I got to show up. Football is not the sport where you just go, I'm going to show up just for appearances, Mm-mm. especially quarterback. Really not where you just, I'm going to just show up and kind of, you know, go through the motions. It's not what you do. Uh, and it's just, it, there are a lot of kids who thought they had it figured out, and, and maybe they did. Maybe if you're Stingley, you go back two years ago, and you're like, I'm the, I, I said after the 19th season, I think he's the best player coming, best player coming back in college football much less defender, corner, anything like that. And he has not he ha, he has not been as consistently productive since the end of that freshman year, which I mean, my gosh, it was the greatest year in LSU history and he was a big part of it. Uh, but since then it just has not um really turned out the way that anybody was projecting for Derek Stingley, including Derek Stingley. So, appreciate Sunday's time. We're going to break, come back, wrap up next. of college football no matter where you go with a new southern sports today app catch the best college football conversation in the south everywhere with the sst live stream and daily podcast downloaded now at the app store and the google play store now more of the best college football talk in the country it's the chuck oliver show they're competing they're working hard they want to do well they want to do well probably better than I want them to do well, or their coach wants them to do well, or the fans want them to do well. So um, it's not a matter of wanting to. Nick Saban talking about all the kids on his roster. And it seems pretty simple of a concept. And it seems that it's not the kind of thing a coach would have to say. Now, some coaches don't. And Nick Saban is one of those that I don't have – I don't – I can't take full inventory of every thought I've had over the last 15 years. I can't imagine I ever have had doubts about, hmm, do Nick Saban's players want it? Are they squared away? Or are they focused? Uh, I don't believe I've ever had that thought. There are coaches that you would have to talk about. That. Derek Dooley, remember when he was at Tennessee, the Derrick Rogers story? And and my understanding is it wasn't just a story. Derrick Rogers walking around the locker room before their season finale against Kentucky uh, was talking to teammates about doesn't matter if we win today, even if because they had five wins. When you bowl eligible, or just be a crappy bowl anyway. Like that's a teammate talking to someone before kickoff. Well, no, if we win today, it doesn't really matter because it would just be a bad bowl. Dayreek, how about just don't make me swim upstream, man? Just just don't do that. So for some coaches. Uh, maybe you do need that clarification, but certainly not for a Nick Saban coach team. They take the field Saturday against the New Mexico State Cowboys. Um, they will be getting after the Aggies on Saturday um, in a home game. And then it's Arkansas on, uh, at home as well, and then on the road for the Iron Bowl. I don't know that, you know, I was talking yesterday about the need for Bama to start looking like Bama. And the issue is there's there's two problems with this. They've got New Mexico State, Arkansas, and Auburn left. 
that's all. It's only three opportunities, and one of them you're not going to find out any. When you're playing New Mexico State, you're not going to find out anything about yourself if you're Alabama. You're not. Not against guys who will then help you play uh, beat Arkansas and Auburn or then to dial it up, the guys who are – see, because you may have um, Slade Bolden. No disrespect. Slade Bolden may help you beat Arkansas and Auburn. Slade Bolden ain't why you beat Georgia. So you've got these different tiers. And the short version is what you are on November 9th, I don't expect there to be this huge revelation between now and November 27th when the season ends. It's November 9th. I just said November 27th. It's here. So this is kind of what you are. And you're not, you're not looking like Bama, which that's the first. I said there's two problems. The first problem is you know, Bama doesn't look a lot like Bama. Bigger problem is I don't think you need to look like Bama. You need to look like Georgia. And you really don't look like Georgia. You really don't look like you're going to get on a field with Georgia and have as much success as you're used to. I would guess right now, and this is just top of mind, and I don't know, and I'm sure that there are there are lines available that you'll see. William Hill has said, if Georgia plays Oregon, if Georgia plays Ohio State, I would guess that a potential line for Georgia and Alabama, my guess would be six and a half, seven, or seven and a half. And I have to imagine that that number being posted, because again, it's not a prediction of how the game goes. It's what the the folks who set the lines, it's what they believe they should post to get even action. And because the Bama name and the resume, not the resume on the field, I'm talking about the resume with betters, with gamblers. The resume is such that there is a strong bias, a strong default to bet Alabama. Georgia's 14 points better. Georgia may be 20 points better right now. And I don't know what Alabama does on the offensive line. I don't know why why Brockemeyer or Latham um, isn't as good as Jonah Williams or Cam Robinson or Cyrus Quanjo as a true freshman, except that's really unusual for an 18-year-old to show up and be that good. We've talked about that concept. Um, Nick Saban for now, what's 07? Eight, nine, whatever, 13, 14 years. He has made the really, really, really unusual. In fact, unusual to the point that it's darn near impossible. He's made it sort of regular. Hi, we play SEC football. I'm going to start a freshman, Jalen Hurts. Hey, we play SEC football. I'm going to throw another freshman in now in the national championship game. Let's do some of that. Um, we're used to Jonah Williams. He's a freshman. Start at right tackle. Cam, you're a freshman. Won't you start at left tackle? Andre, won't you start at left tackle as a freshman? We're used to Nick Saban and the Alabama program. It being normal for a true freshman to show up and play a vital role on a national championship team. This is not, hey, NC State had a true freshman started quarterback for the first time in 13 seasons. This is Alabama started a true freshman at quarterback first time ever and won a national title. That's what Alabama was. So so this is a different little, different level for the Tide team. What they're looking at with Georgia and I guess the, quote, improvement they need to make in three weeks. 
Uh, they got issues. Like I said, one of them is they don't look like themselves. The other issue is I don't know if that's even going to solve anything. So it is definitely uphill, but expect that number to be somewhere around seven, and I would expect uh, Georgia to lap it. Georgia's about a 14-point pick in my mind over Alabama. What's up, Dan? Everything you said is true, but I think the larger issue here is, Chuck, it's us. It's the fact that we always have to expect that whatever the expectation we've placed on them is, that it always has to be met with that. Otherwise, it's no good. But the point is, going back to 2011, you cannot continue the rate of success that Alabama had year in and year out. And they did for more than 10 years. And that's admirable itself right there. And it's not even over with yet. We've done this before with Nick Saban where we've said, "Uh uh-oh, this looks like the beginning of the end because we want it to be the beginning of the end because there's really two people always at war when it comes to programs like Alabama. Hey, they're winning a lot. They're winning too much. We want the next thing to come up now, and we want to look for that program to be said program where we want it to happen where it's two losses in a season for Nick Saban, and then we can all say, "Uh uh-oh, it's over with again. And then these guys right here who, frankly, right now are probably not ready to be the players that we hope that they can be, or at least that Alabama fans hope they can be. But again, patience we've seen this before whenever something has supposedly not gone the way that we expected it to go with Alabama where it's undefeated boat race everybody be able to go to the national championship game and make sure that there is no doubt that anybody is anywhere around you being as good as you are it is going to come to an end someday. Nick Saban will have a 9-3 and three season. It's going to happen. I know that some of you listening on Tide 100.9 right now are probably saying, Dan, do not put that energy out in the atmosphere. But I'm just telling you right now, it's going to happen. And when it does, don't look negatively upon what you've seen. Be thankful for what you've had because back in 2006, there were even questions, Chuck, of can this guy, can this guy even bring us back to where we were? A lot of people doubted that they would even get close to what they are right now. Wraps it up on a Tuesday. Check Oliver's show. Uh, give me 22 hours. Uh, be back tomorrow. Chris Landry, because it's a Wednesday. Uh, to recharge those batteries, and I promise. More college football conversation all along the network. This time tomorrow. <laughs>